Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join us in Appleton and Stevens Point this morning. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. Got a shout out to uh, over in our Appleton campus this morning. Adam and Kayla Schlegel had a baby girl, Gracelyn Rose. So. And here at the Green Bay campus, uh, Jonathan and Dana Schleiss. I think I said that right this time. Little Hope Marie entered the world. Give them a hand. If I'm not mistaken, both of these ladies had these babies at home. Whoa. <laughs> oh, man, there's no way. <laughs> I need a neurosurgeon on standby if I have a little tiny sliver pulled out of my finger, man. There's no way. <clears throat> I want to remind you about our September 20th service. Great service to invite someone that you've been thinking about inviting for the first time to Celebration Church, a message about just a very simple Christian faith, what it means to know Jesus. I'll be here as well as all everybody else, and it'll be a great time to invite somebody. We are in a series, uh, it's called Faith 101. This is part 15. <laughs> I get into these things and I don't stop. But... Uh, uh, and uh, we are actually, what it is, it's we're answering some of the basic questions about faith. And if you miss some of these, you might want to go online and check them out uh, to get some of these answers uh, to questions that you might have. We, uh, this is our fifth part of just answering the question, what is love? Everybody thinks love is so obvious and simple. You know, we think of uh, Forrest Gump when he said, I'm not a smart man, but I know what love is. You know, as though any can figure out what love is, when in point of fact, is a little more complicated, a little trickier than we think. We've been reading from 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, often read at many, many weddings, though nobody really is what they're reading. Uh, let's read it. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And as we've looked into this uh, and really examined each one of these words, it's hard not to walk away with a sense of ouch, because it's pretty revealing uh, how sometimes we fall short. And remember, the Bible is our mirror. You wake up in the morning, the mirror is what helps you <laughs> fix things. Thank God for mirrors. Uh, but we need that mirror in our souls, and that's what the Bible says. If you, if you don't read the Bible, you're going to walk around spiritually looking very odd 
and horrifying at times because you don't take the time to look in the mirror. What does it say? And you can see. And as we've looked against this mirror of what truly love is, it's easy to get a sense and see how, wow, I think maybe I'm falling short. Certainly, that was the case with me as I went through this. I told you it's a little painful. As I go, oh man, apparently I don't walk in as much love as, as I really should. Uh, so the question is, well, what do we do? What do we do when you find out, you know, man, we're not doing what we should be doing? Well, the good news is there's always forgiveness. Uh, as we just said with the Apostles' Creed, we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Uh, John, the apostle, wrote this letter, his first letter. He said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So that's the good news. How does that happen? How do you get there? Well, let's take a look at that. We want to break it out into four very simple categories this morning. Number one, uh, there needs to be a sense of conviction. When Jesus was with his disciples, he was telling them, look, I need to leave. And you can imagine they did not want him to leave. Would you want Jesus to leave for heaven's sakes? Life is great. This is amazing. And he's trying to convince them, look, it's better for you if I get out of here. Why would that be? It's hard from the grasp. Because as long as I'm here, the Holy Spirit, which resides in me, cannot be sent to everyone. Why? I have no idea. I don't understand a whole lot of things. But it's just the fact. So Jesus, up until that point, the Holy Spirit would come like on one prophet at a time or something like that. But they had been prophecies that someday the Holy Spirit would fall on everyone who believed. And this power of God would be working everybody. It was truly amazing when you think about it. Well, so Jesus goes and the Holy Spirit comes and now lives in believers to empower us to do life. Jesus talked about this to them in John the 16th chapter. He said, look guys, when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. One of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to convict us. Many other translations use convince, convict. This one uses the word prove, but the point being is to let us know very clearly the sense of what is right and what is wrong. At some point, you have to get a sense of what I'm doing is wrong. The Holy Spirit makes that possible. People with hard hearts don't ever see that. They never think that anything they do is ever wrong. Uh, they live in this vacuum because they don't have this sense. Uh, you know, we, some people used to refer to it kind of like a conscience, that people would have consciences. And, and that is true to some degree, although many people today have seared their conscience, the Bible says, as with a hot iron, have burnt it so hot and lost all sensitivity. They do all kinds of things uh, and think nothing of it because there is no right or wrong anymore and it's just a big free-for-all, but that's not true. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will show us. He will convince you. He will convict you of when you're doing wrong. Something inside will not be right. The first thing you have to understand is when you do something, that there is a path to getting right. First of all, you gotta realize I am wrong, which is for a lot of people. It's just the most horrible thing in the world. Everybody repeat after me. I was wrong and you didn't die. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's amazing how many people cannot ever say that to anybody, no matter what they do, even if they know beyond a shadow of it that they were wrong, they ain't saying jack, all right? And you really need to be not that way. You need to be able to say, you know what? You're right, I was wrong. Painful though it may be. It's called humility. Uh, when you realize you're wrong, God makes a way of making things right. That's conviction. 
Uh, a lot of people are afraid of talking about what's right or wrong because they want, don't want people to feel condemned. Condemned means I'm doomed, there's nothing I can do about it, it's hopeless. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about. What we need in the church today is conviction. We don't need condemnation. In fact, condemnation is uh, not to be a part of the Christian experience. Paul wrote in Romans the eighth chapter, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the two are very different. Uh, as I travel around the world, oftentimes I hear pastors who are just, you know, just paranoid as they can possibly be. They don't ever want, you know, everyone to feel bad about anything. And, 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 and they say, you know, we, we don't, you know, uh, we don't want people to feel condemned. Don't, they, they don't talk about the truth. They don't ever preach the truth because they don't want people to feel condemned. They don't talk about heaven and hell. They don't want anybody to feel condemned. They talk about totally surrendering to Jesus. They don't want anybody to feel condemned. They don't talk about sin because they want anybody to feel condemned. But they're making a huge leap. There is not condemnation in the kingdom of God. There's always a way out. If you ever feel like, I'm doomed, it's too much, I've gone too far, I can never get right, God is done with me, that's the devil talking to you, that's not God. Because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. There is, however, conviction. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to point out when we're wrong. And don't walk around with this idea, you know, like Donald Trump. <laughs> I'm never wrong. Actually, I like the guy. He's highly entertaining. I do. You know, the more people get mad, the happier I get, but I like fighting. But anyway, uh, but he's a little nuts, and, and I enjoy that because it reminds me of me. So, uh, but you know, think, well, I'm never wrong. I'm never wrong. Of course, no, don't think like that. Sometimes we're wrong. You need to realize I make mistakes. Everybody say, I make mistakes. Let's see how easy that was. All right. So number one, you gotta have conviction. Number two, there needs to be a degree of sorrow. Uh, and this is why this is so important. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow brings death. That's that condemnation part. I'm doomed, nothing. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about godly sorrow. You need to be convinced, number one, about what is right and wrong, and you know, I'm wrong. Once you realize you're wrong, there should be a degree of sorrow that's involved in that. Now, we live in a culture today that says nobody should ever feel bad, ever, about anything. So there's words you can't say, there's phrases you can't say, there's things you, it can be blatant and in your face, but you can't say anything about it. Because it might make somebody feel bad. Heavens, that's like the most cardinal sin in America today. That you point out that somebody did something wrong, you make them feel bad. Nobody can feel bad, everybody has to feel good. No one can, it doesn't matter what you do. Our schools are full of this nonsense. Johnny, we don't want you to feel bad, but do you understand when you punch Jimmy in the face, maybe that didn't make him feel good? You know? <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> when I was in school 150 years ago, you punch somebody in the face, you got smacked, man, I'm telling you. I was smacked on more than one occasion, quite frankly. <laughs> Praise be to God. Uh, it was good for me. But you, man, you were so far from that, and you can't, all right, you don't want a corporal punishment. All right, fine. You can't even make them feel bad. There are certain sports they don't even allow in some schools today because it might make somebody feel bad. Baseball is one of them. You can't have some kid play baseball because he'll strike out, which most people strike out. 
It's a great lesson in life. You know what? Most people strike out. If you can come to the <laughs> base, what do you call it? <laughs> the plate, the plate. If you can come to, not much of a baseball player. If you can come to the plate and strike out seven times for every time, for every 10 that you come, you can hit three times. You'll make hundreds of millions of dollars. Man, if you can get a 300 batting average, holy cow. A lot of these guys making millions, they get a 200 batting average. I mean, anyway, we can't have that today because someone will feel bad. Now we hand out trophies just for showing up. <laughs> How sick is that? Look what I won. What'd you do? Nothing. It's even confusing to the kid. Why'd you get the award? I don't know. Look at this. <laughs> How many of you know that's just crazy? But they do that because we don't want anybody to feel bad. Has anyone noticed that if you don't show up for work, they don't pay you? <laughs> anybody notice that? There's not the award just for... Hi, everybody. You got to do something. Goodness gracious. What am I talking about? Oh, feeling sorry. All right, so. But nobody was, you can't hurt anybody's feelings. And we're obsessed. I'm telling you, you we're laughing, but you know it's true. This culture, you can't make Puerto Ricans feel bad because they're Puerto Rican. You can't make Blacks feel bad because they're black. You can't make green feel bad because they're green or Mexicans because they're Mexican. I mean, everybody's just, you know, it's politically corrupt. <laughs> and we're obsessed. The most important thing you would never, ever, 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 ever make somebody feel bad. But you know who never feels bad? A psychopath. <laughs> it's true. Look it up. Look up the definition of a psychopath. A psychopath is someone who never feels guilt about anything. They never feel bad. These are the sick people, you know, take animals and torture them, put a cat in a microwave and watch them. <laughs> you cat hater, shut up. <clears throat> but they don't feel bad about anything. And they literally start, they start out this way, and then they start doing this to people. And they never feel bad. They never feel bad. We've been reading, well, what, this last week, two, three times, somebody just, these are the people who walk up, pull out a gun, and just shoot somebody in cold blood. Unprovoked. Just kill them. And then, of course, people say, well, the gun control, as if that's going to fix it. You know, if they don't have a gun, they'll just stab them to death. It's not about the guns. They say, well, it's mental illness. I disagree. Now, some of them are just crazy, bad. They're just crazier than a bat. I mean, there's some nutsoid people out there. And I do think people who are crazy should not have a gun. But we can't do that because that will make crazy people feel bad. Oh, we can't have that. So, so we got to let crazy people have guns so they don't feel bad so they can shoot people. And... But these last couple of guys, they're desperate. See, our, our culture is desperate to explain it away. Why are they? Well, there must be mental illness. It's got to be mental illness. A mental illness? Well, he was weird. Well, that make us all mentally ill. Got fired. That makes some of you mentally ill. <laughs> These are guys who clearly thought months ago, bought a gun, got it, rehearsed, had everything planned out, went and killed people in cold blood and had no problem with it whatsoever. 
never felt bad. Why? Because we live in a culture now today that just is creating a bunch of psychopaths and churches who get caught up in this nonsense. There's so many churches that won't ever preach the truth because they desperately don't want anybody to feel bad, ever. There's some churches that their whole thing is every time they come, it has to be a feel-good message. Just make everybody feel good. Which, hey, I like feeling good. It's great. But at some point, we got to tell the truth. And the truth will bring conviction and sorrow. Sorrow is a good thing. Okay, we're not talking the kind of sorrow that brings death, that's hopeless, but the kind of sorrow that makes you step back from what you're doing. And the Bible says it brings us to repentance. Jesus did not tell us to go into all the world and create a bunch of psychopaths. I'm serious. We have people in churches today who freely do things that they should feel very bad about, but they have no problem doing it because they celebrate the fact that churches are great places because you never feel bad about anything. We actually celebrate as that as some kind of form of grace and stuff, but it's a perversion of grace. That's not grace. No wonder we don't have people turning to God when we're against sorrow because sorrow brings people to God, the Bible says. It brings us specifically to repentance, which is our third point. Uh, repentance means that you intentionally turn away from what you know is wrong. You're here and you know you're involved in this and you repent. You turn and you walk away from what you know is wrong. This has always been central to the Christian message. In fact, Mark in his uh, account in the Gospels uh, noted this about Jesus and his disciples. This is they went and preached that people should repent. Turn away from what you're doing. Now there's people who struggle with this point. They will feel convicted, and they'll tell you, Pastor, I, I know what I'm doing is wrong. And then they'll feel sorry. You know, I feel bad that what I'm doing is wrong. But they will not repent. I have no intention of stopping doing what is wrong. And uh, they just live in this place. It's a sad place to be. And no matter what you say to them, they just refuse to repent. And look, I can't make you repent. You know, this is some kind of cult or something. This is decision you need to make. But as long as you hang on to stuff you know you shouldn't be doing, God isn't going to bless you. Uh, you're not going to really succeed in your life. It's something you say, well, well, if I do that, then this bad thing will happen. So what? There's people who won't do the right thing because it'll cost them money. Seriously. If I do, I know that's right, but if I do that, it'll hurt me financially. So, Jesus said you should be willing to sell everything you've got and follow him. At some point in a Christian experience, there needs to be a sense of complete surrender. I am going to follow God, no matter who it separates me from, no matter who it connects me with, no matter what it costs me. Jesus often used parables of the kingdom of God being like someone who finds a, a, a pearl of great price, and they went and sold everything they had so they could get the pearl. He always used these kind of pictures and analogies to show that if you want to really experience the God, you've got to be able to let go of everything and anything that would keep you from that. If you come and part of your experience, Christian experience is, uh, you know, I, I do agree, I love to hear the truth, and it does make me feel bad, but I'm not going to stop. I can't because, and everybody gives their reasons why they can't. Well, that's your choice, but I'm telling you, at some point, if you're going to do this right, you need to repent. Everybody say repent. You need to let go. And no matter what it costs you, no matter what the consequences, that's true repentance. Look, people who have followed Christ throughout history, some people it has cost them greatly. Some, their very lives. That's the level of commitment we need to have to following Jesus. 
if it costs me everything I have and even my very life. You know, we read about these horrible situations in the Middle East where these nutcases are cutting off Christians' heads and stuff. And, but wow, what commitment. These are people, if they would just renounce their faith, say, I don't believe in Jesus and I will serve Muhammad, they would live. But they won't do it. And it costs them everything. What, you can't give up drinking too many beers? You can't give up doing something you know you shouldn't be doing? You can't give up this, that, or the other? Wow. We need a real dose of reality. If we're going to really experience this stuff, we need to understand the concept of repentance. At some point, you need to let go. So, conviction, sorrow, repentance, but even that won't be enough. <laughs> Are you depressed now? There needs to be something more. What is it? It's what Jesus talked about, the power of the Holy Spirit. At some point, as much as you need to be intentional to do the right thing in your own strength, at some point in your own strength, you can't do the things we've been talking about, like loving people. You can't just make it happen on your own. Pastor, I'll try harder. I'll try harder. I'll try. No. That's not the key. The answer to this is to let the Holy Spirit of God in you and empower you. And it happens automatically if you'll do it. Lots of different analogies that the, Old, the, New, the New Testament talks about this. Paul used this analogy in Romans, or in, in Galatians, the fifth chapter. He talked about it being the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is, number one, love. The very thing we've been talking about. Say, pass off. <laughs> I just need to try harder. No. Fruit trees don't try to have fruit. If you go up to Door County, you won't see cherry trees going. <laughs> don't try to have fruit. Fruit just happens. You don't see cherry tree farmers, is that what they call them? I don't know what they call them. They don't go up and yell at the trees. Stupid cherry tree, give me more cherries. No. The key is you've got to give it the right environment. If you give a fruit tree the right environment, it will have fruit automatically. It's the glorious thing about having a fruit tree. But having a fruit tree doesn't mean you're necessarily going to have fruit. Fruit trees are a little tricky. Anybody ever try to have a fruit tree? Most people will tell you, yes, it died. <laughs> I was talking to Dave Kirshner, we were at him and Sandy's house last week up in Door County. And he told me, man, I, I had three different fruit trees and then they all died. And he's telling me, it's hard to have a fruit. It's true. People who, are, who have fruit trees and stuff like that for a living, they work really hard. Because, man, and if the environment's not right, they freak. Man, go to Florida and watch it start to get down into the 30s. Man, everybody's having a heart attack down there. They're freaking out when it hits the 40s. And they start lighting up all these big things to try and keep enough warmth, and they got to try and heat the entire outdoors so you can have orange juice. Because if it doesn't have the right environment, it'll die. But if they put the work into it, I mean, it's not like a pine tree. A pine tree. A moron can grow a pine tree. Right? There's pine trees everywhere. Pine trees are so dumb, 
they stay green even in winter. <laughs> Everything else is brown and dead, pine trees, it's still green. It thinks it's summer still. Very resilient pine trees, which is also a good sermon. But anyway, and they'll pop up all over the place. You'll have trees popping up where you don't want them popping up. You will. But you don't just see too many fruit trees popping up successfully unless it has the right environment. If you have a fruit tree that isn't giving the right fruit, you don't yell at it, you fix the environment. If in your life you are lacking the kind of love we're talking about, the answer isn't to try harder. That's the good news. You can't do this on your own. What you can do, however, is change the environment. If you're going to do anything to work on it, you want to work on the environment. Don't work on the fruit, I guess is my point. Does that make any sense? You, and all this fruit, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, which nobody knows what that means. Uh, it, it, it used to say long-suffering, which means suffering for a long time. You know, and nobody understood long-suffering, so they came up with forbearance. Still nobody. You know what's interesting? In our language, we don't really have anything for that anymore. We are the kind of people, we don't want to suffer through anything. So words like forbearance and long-suffering, so like, it means nothing to people. So what's a better word? There isn't any. We keep on the word, we're going to get to the point where we're not going to even have a word for sucking it up. I guess that's the word, suck it up. <laughs> suck it up, buttercup. That's what it should say. We need a new translation. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and suck it up, buttercup. That's <laughs> what you need. You need to suck it up. I quit. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm discouraged. Really? Suck it up. Pastor, I'm having a hard time. <laughs> Welcome to life. Suck it up. Are you hearing me this morning? You got to be intentional about life. And one of the natural fruits of the Spirit is you're able to suck it up. My pretty redhead down here. You all can't see her, but she's still pretty. Anyway, uh, you know, she's been having a really hard time going through, through this uh, uh, cancer thing and stuff. And health, but boy, if there's one thing about her, and, and she's stubborn by nature. <laughs> when well, she has a serious dose of suck it up. You know, and she's gone through stuff I can't even imagine. But she doesn't stop. She doesn't stop. I think she just really irritates the devil to no end. If you're the devil and you're trying to kill her, it's, it's frustrating. <laughs> but where does that come from? At the end of the day, it's, it's, it's part of this fruit of the spirit that's in people's lives. The thing that makes you love people and forgive people and walk in joy and kindness. And yes, suck it up, even in the worst of circumstances. The great testimony of Christianity isn't that your life will always be good and not have a hard time. The great testimony of Christianity is even though when your life is terrible, you're still full of love, joy, peace, and kindness. Why? Because you can suck it up. So, well, Pastor, I'll try harder. No, it's not about trying harder. Don't focus on joy. Don't focus on patience. Don't fucking love people more. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be more and more patient. I wish I would hurry up already. <laughs> the focus is the environment. That's where you put your energy. 
Not in these things. When we preach and talk about things, they go, oh man, I'm messing up. I'm, not the, you know, I'm just going to try hard. No, it's not try harder. It's man, you look and you go, ah, oh, the mirrors, oh, I'm really messing in that area. You know what you need to do? Work on your environment. What is your environment? Do you pray? Do you go to church more than three times a year? Or only when there's nothing else to do? <laughs> people always ask me, how many people go to your church as I travel around? How many people go to your church? I say, it depends on the weather. <laughs> if the weather's bad, it sucks. Because nobody wants to come to church. The good news is we live in Wisconsin. And usually the weather's pretty lousy and people come to church because it's too cold to do anything else. What's your environment? Do you pray? Do you ever read the Bible? If your only spiritual experience, like you guys over in Stephen's point, if your only spiritual experience is when you come in, you sit for an hour, and you leave, that's it for you. You're going to struggle to have the right kind of fruit in your life. And you say, well, I'm just going to try hard. I'm just going to try hard, Pastor. I'm going to, I heard what you said. I'm going to try. No, that's not the answer. You need to work on this environment thing. You need to get the right stuff. What kind of movies do you watch? What kind of books do you read? Some of you guys read stuff that should make a normal person vomit. Well, it's just a love story. Fifty Shades of Stupid. <laughs> just, it's just a love story. I, I, I don't see anything wrong with that because you, there's no conviction in your life. There's no sorrow in your life. Or you're going to struggle with some of these things in your life. Why? I don't know why, Pastor. I don't know why. I'm not. Well, look at your environment. What are you doing? Are you hungry for the Word of God on Wednesday nights now? We're going to be starting up these Wednesday night services where, you know, rather than preaching for, you know, 25 minutes or whatever, we open the Bible. And re I'm going to really show. We're going to start in the New Testament, and I'm going to really show you how to understand the New Testament. We're going to go through it. It's going to take a while. But, you know, Come. Why, why would I do that? I, I want to watch Gilligan Island reruns. Yeah. <laughs> your life is so complicated. You got so much in your life. You can't possibly, on a Wednesday night, take an hour to go to church. Most of you say, yeah. And then you look at your life, and there's not much fruit, and I'm, I'm trying, Pastor. Well, I'll try harder. The answer isn't try harder. You've got to change your environment. Get your butt up and go to church. Do these things. When you get in the right environment, you are going to find, suddenly, you are going to have love, more love in your life. You're going to start having more joy where before you didn't. You start to have peace when you had nothing but turmoil before. You're going to start being able to suck it up when you wanted to quit all the time. You're going to be kinder. You're going to have goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. You're actually going to start controlling yourself in places you never were able to control yourself before. Why? Not because you tried harder, but because you got in the right environment. Look, Christianity doesn't just happen on its own. You need to be intentional, but the intentionality needs to be on environment, not the end result. When you start looking at the fruit, that shows you the environment is off. And if you think that you can just casually live the Christian experience and on occasion come to church and once in a while pray, thank you God for this cheeseburger, amen, that's your idea of prayer, your environment's never going to get right and you will struggle and you'll start having the opposite of all these things in your life. You may feel bad, you may repent and try and turn on your own energy, but if you don't get that environment right, you'll never experience this. Use intentionality. Get the right environment in your life and you will start finding 
that some of the things that seem to escape you will become natural because fruit trees just have fruit naturally. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Help us, O oh Lord, to take seriously the environment of our lives, particularly spiritually. Where are we at? Lord, if we'll do the right things and put the right environment, we will become a healthy tree that will naturally bring forth all these good, empowering, glorious fruits will start coming out of our lives. But not because of us, but because of you that's working through us. Help us, Lord, to realize that when it comes to our environment, we need to be intentional. And then we'll start to experience the kind of fruit that you want us to experience. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Be fruity today.